This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Major changes to travel mandates. Many people that were being allowed on planes that only had two shots, we know you needed three shots to be protected. Why COVID restrictions are coming off. The fake nurse and a lot of red that went ignored. How did this happen? How did it happen for so long? How Bridget Clarou was able to avoid detection for years. And the surprise in a century-old can of film. This was a lost cause. There, there's no way this could possibly work. A local photography buff gets some help solving a mystery. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophie is off tonight. Unvaccinated Canadians are now able to travel by plane or train within the country and abroad. The federal government announcing it's suspending the COVID-19 vaccine mandate for domestic travelers. Richard Zussman joins us now live with more on this, including the mandates that will remain in place. Richard. These doors, Chris, have been a no-go zone for those who have decided not to be vaccinated for a while now. This policy has been one of the most controversial in the country, leading to protest. And starting next week on Monday, the mandate to be vaccinated on planes and trains in this country will be gone. Cleared for takeoff. As we learn more about this virus, we have been adjusting our measures. As of Monday, June 20th, unvaccinated Canadians can board a plane or train for travel in this country, suspending a vaccine mandate that's been in place for more than a year and a half. And transport sector employees no longer need to be vaccinated. The uh, regulations about vaccine mandates that uh, were still in place are out of step right now with uh, regulations in other parts of our lives. So they, they make less and less sense over time. Masks must still be worn on planes and trains. Cruise ships docking in Vancouver and Victoria will still have vaccine requirements. And anyone entering the country and not wanting to quarantine must be fully vaccinated against COVID-19, meaning ArriveCan remains. An ArriveCan is a very helpful tool uh, to ensure that travelers, arriving travelers, have the required vaccination um, certificate. But ArriveCan has also been less than helpful at airports, adding to bottlenecks and chaos, also caused by an increase in travel and shortage in staff. These changes now add extra potential travelers to already maxed out airports. In a statement, YVR says going forward, there's still work to be done to address challenges facing airports, airlines and the traveling public with respect to passenger screening and international arrivals processing. Increasing kiosks at CBSA. Uh, CBSA is also hiring a lot of summer students, uh, so there's a lot more resources. The tourism sector in BC applauding the changes, but frustration remains with those remaining restrictions, especially 
when it comes to attracting big events. Particularly on the meeting side, we're hearing of conferences that are suggesting we're not coming to Canada this year. We don't want to visit British Columbia because some of the restrictions are still in place, including the need to be vaccinated. The federal government also quick to point out, Chris, that these mandates could come back if there is a COVID resurgence. Also announced today that federal employees starting on Monday no longer need to be vaccinated to work. That includes the RCMP. But here in British Columbia, no plan on changing that. So public servants here in this province still will be required to be vaccinated against COVID-19. Lots to wade through for sure. Thanks very much for that. Richard Zussman reporting live in Victoria. Now, some chilling details are emerging at the sentencing hearing for a once promising young actor who admitted to killing his own mother. Some of the details are actually quite disturbing. Grace Key reports on the bizarre behavior Ryan Grantham exhibited after he shot her and the emotional victim impact statement from Grantham's sister. While Barbara Waite played the piano in her Squamish townhome back on March 31, 2020, her 21-year-old son, child actor Ryan Grantham, shot her in the back of the head. In Grantham's sentencing hearing, Crown said she was killed in the sanctity of her own home, and he took advantage of her vulnerability in the one place she should have felt safe, and that was in her own home. The killing of Ms. Waite was an execution. He shot her from behind, one shot in the head. With her body still in the house, he watched Netflix and went to bed, but not before recording a video that was played in court. He filmed her lying on the floor and narrated what he had done in a way that even he felt was performative. Court heard how Grantham was suffering from depression. The day after the killing, he drove towards Ottawa with guns and Molotov cocktails to kill Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. He made it as far as hope, turned back with thoughts of killing people on Lionsgate Bridge in SFU, where he was a student. His sister read a tearful statement in court saying their mother was a super mom, always positive, protective, supportive and fun. She instilled in both of us a strong sense of right and wrong. All she wanted was for us to be happy in life and she went above and beyond to help if we were struggling. Ryan, you could have reached out to mom or me anytime with no judgment and we would have listened to you and gotten you help. A day after the killing, Grantham turned himself into Vancouver police, eventually entering a guilty plea to second-degree murder. It carries an automatic life sentence. Crown is asking for 17 to 18 years of parole ineligibility. Defense will make its submissions on Wednesday. Grace Key, Global News. The trial of a Dutch man accused of harassing and extorting BC teen Amanda Todd before she took her own life. Heard today from a Dutch police officer who flew in from the Netherlands to testify. As Ramina Dea reports, he told the court what investigators found in a holiday home linked to the accused. Lieutenant Eric Verstraten of the DNP, Dutch National Police, told the jury he seized many items from the bungalow in the Netherlands where the accused, Aidan Coban, was arrested January 2014. Verstraten, who was working with the child abuse investigation team at the time of the raid of the cabin, in Derusop Holiday Park, testified he discovered a stereo set. And when he dissembled the middle section, he found a box with a Dutch passport with Coban's name and picture, 10,000 euros and a hard drive. During the search, Verstraten said he also found computers and a shredder. The jury has not heard evidence regarding what information was found on these devices. 
The case comes down to identity. Crown trying to prove 43-year-old Coban, a Dutch citizen, was behind 22 fake user accounts used to sextort 15-year-old Amanda Todd into performing pornographic acts online between 2009 and 2012. The disturbing content sent to family, classmates and school staff, says Louise Kenworthy. Defense suggesting there's no link between Coban and the online extortionist. Elliot Holzman questioning Coban's childhood friend, Adam Goxinar, who testified from the Netherlands via video. My client repaired computers when you knew him. Witness, yes. He was a computer guy, yes. And you remember that he would repair your computer if it was broken, yes. He also replaced your old hard drive. Do you remember that? Yes. Goxenar, who's originally from Turkey, testified he's known Koban since he was eight years old, adding the accused speaks Dutch, Turkish, English, and a bit of German. Defense raising questions about who may have accessed the cabin in the woods where Koban was arrested. Goxenar agreed with defense that the accused looks very much like his two brothers, Hasim and Senal. Dutch officer Sabrina Hendry has also flown in from the Netherlands to testify. Hendry also involved in the search. Multiple photographs of what was found in the holiday cabin have been entered as exhibits and seen in open court. But this important evidence is not being released to the media at this time. Romina Dea, Global News. We are learning more shocking details about the fake nurse who worked in B.C. Court documents say Bridget Clarou was disciplined several times, even suspended for her conduct towards patients and co-workers. But even with no nursing credentials at all, was still allowed to work at the hospital. Catherine Urquhart reports. Brigitte Clairoux has an extensive criminal history with 67 convictions. Now, as she serves a seven-year jail sentence and awaits her next court appearance, more disturbing allegations are emerging about the woman who posed as a nurse at BC Women's Hospital. Tell me what went wrong. Tell me how you're fixing it. In newly filed court documents, the Provincial Health Authority has responded to a proposed class action lawsuit. This amid allegations Clairoux impersonated a nurse between 2020 and 2021. The health authority acknowledges aggressive behavior and disciplinary action. The B.C. Supreme Court document states in part, She was overheard stating that she wanted to punch or hit an anesthesia assistant in the face, handed narcotics to a patient who was being transferred to another unit in violation of standards. An anesthesiologist had raised concerns about her use of force to straighten a patient's arm. At one point, a three-day suspension related to five separate incidents was challenged by her union and reduced to a one-day suspension. How did this happen? How did it happen for so long? These individuals put their trust in the system and the system let them down. In the notice of civil claim, the Provincial Health Authority denies it should have known Clary was not lawfully qualified to work as a nurse in B.C., That despite the fact she used a fake name when applying to work at the hospital and failed to provide her nursing registration number. Catherine Urquhart, Global News.
The federal government is committing $77 million to help rebuild Lytton even better than it was. Federal Minister of International Development Harjit Sajjan made the pledge in Lytton this morning, almost a year after a wildfire destroyed most of the town and killed two people. Sajjan says the money will help build a more fire-safe community. But most importantly, the new buildings will be constructed to be fire-resistant. And these investments will position Lytton as a leader, showing that sustainable, resilient, net-zero buildings is not just the way of the future, it is the way today. Both the federal and provincial governments have been criticized for a slow response to the rebuilding effort. The province has said that program will likely begin in September. Now, approval ratings for Premier John Horgan have slipped to their lowest level since 2020. And with more, we'll bring in Keith Baldry for what's likely behind the drop and, Keith, the release of new attack ads by both the B.C. NDP and the B.C. Liberal Party. What do you make of it? Yeah, these ads came out of the blue. It's interesting timing. We're more than two years away from the next scheduled vote. But I think both parties are trying to test out some messages. We're going to get to those ads in a moment. First, going to show you the approval ratings from Angus Reid. They sample public opinion every three months. John Horgan, as you mentioned, Chris, the lowest figure there, 48% since March of 2020 when the pandemic began. He's down seven points. Francois Legault from Quebec, who had been riding higher than any premier, is down eight points to 44. Only Scott Moe, west of the Atlantic province, is over 50% with 50 one percent. Doug Ford got a bit of a boost with the Ontario election, and Jason Kenney is leaving soon as uh, Alberta Premier. He's just at 32 percent. So 48 percent, a lot of people would take that number if you're a Premier, but it's certainly lower than the 71 percent he peaked at at the beginning of the pandemic. Now, those ads, the, the NDP was out first today with a social media ad, really attacking Kevin Falcon, the B.C. Liberal leader, over his recent stint as a developer, suggesting that his policies, which include removing the speculation tax and other taxes, would drive up the price of housing. Are you a wealthy housing speculator who feels unfairly targeted by the housing speculation tax? <laughs> B.C. Liberal leader Kevin Falcon is the politician for you. So again, uh, the NDP season on the affordability issue from their lens, but the Liberals also raising affordability with an ad that dropped a short time after the NDP one. They're going after the NDP and John Horgan on the issue of affordability that goes on well beyond housing. So that was Kevin Falcon. Here's the Liberal take on John Horgan of the NDP and some of his affordability issues. So both parties, again, seizing on the affordability issue, both parties contacting me to criticize the other guy's ad. So the Liberals say, look, uh, Kevin Falcon's looking at all the taxation policies brought in by the NDP, not speculation. The NDP's pointing out, wait a minute, when it comes to affordability, we got rid of those bridge tolls, those MSP premiums, and issued a number of ICBC premium uh, rebates. I expect to hear a lot about these, this fundamental issue of affordability in the months and years ahead, Chris, and it's just the beginning of what we're going to see regularly on social media ads and potentially on television and radio as well. Two more years of this. I don't know. I don't know if we can take it. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks very much, Keith. I appreciate it. Well, maybe a big sports festival will help. Reigniting the Olympic flame. More details about the First Nations-led plan to put on the Winter Games again in 2030. That's in just over a minute. Shocking behavior behind the wheel. Another close call involving a semi on a BC highway. And what happened when we called the company involved? Plus. 
another local state of emergency. Areas in the Okanagan where the water is rising dangerously. We'll check in with Yvonne very shortly. But right now, transit workers in the Sea to Sky region are heading back to work, marking an end to the longest transit strike in the province's history. The union representing the workers says its 80 members voted to ratify the new contract after winning a cost of living increase. They'll get a bump of more than 13% over the next five years. Transit workers in Squamish, Whistler and Pemberton walked off the job January 29th. After months of strike action, Labour Minister Harry Baines appointed a special mediator last month to help the sides reach an agreement. Another major step forward today in a potential bid for the 2030 Winter Olympics in B.C. Four First Nations and the cities of Vancouver and Whistler are releasing their feasibility study. Krista Dow is in Whistler for us and has the details. Krista, how will the 2030 Games be different from 2010? Well, Chris, there will be some new components for the 2030 Olympic Winter Games bid. Sun Peaks Resort near Kamloops will be the site for some freestyle ski and snowboard events. It replaces Cypress Mountain back in 2010 as well. This will be the first ever Indigenous-led Olympic Games bid, led by four BC First Nations. A welcome song to invite the world back to BC as four First Nations reveal their plans on what an Indigenous-led bid would look like for the 2030 Winter Olympic Games. Indigenous-led is to be able to tell our stories, welcome everybody here. Not only having a voice, but having a key, integral part to say, this is how we want it. Building on the 2010 venue legacies. The Lilwat, Musqueam, Squamish and Tsleil-Waututh nations leading the charge, working with the cities of Vancouver, Richmond and Whistler. While the bid will reuse venues from the 2010 Games, it will include a new location. Sun Peaks Resort near Kamloops will play host to the major freestyle skiing and snowboarding events. All of the facilities and the venues are built. That is extremely unusual and it's a massive change to the economics of a bid. New for 2030, Hastings Park will be transformed into an Olympic hub. The Hastings Park concept provides an exciting opportunity to create a vibrant festival atmosphere with a big air ramp on the race course, figure skating and short track at the Pacific Coliseum. Other changes include curling at the Agrodome and alpine skiing in Whistler Ptarmigan. Medals will be handed out at the PNE Amphitheatre and at Sun Peaks. As for the athletes' villages, officials say either Jericho or Heatherlands in Vancouver, Mount Morrissey for Sun Peaks and for Whistler to be announced. The process now, community engagement. We've now opened the doors to all the communities across Canada to give us feedback on what they think about this bit. It should be decided by the communities whether they want to welcome the world uh, like we did 150 years ago. As for price tag and how much this will all cost, officials say they will provide that cost breakdown analysis in mid-July. The whole city will be selected May 2023. Back to you. All right, that's Krista Dow and Whistler. Thanks, Krista. Just ahead, a shuttered lab in Sydney. Why it had to close its doors and what it means for patients who need lab results. And the growth spurt season. Research shows when your child is most likely to sprout. 
Traffic is steady in both directions over here tonight at the Iron Workers Memorial Bridge, which is some minor delays further east on Highway 1 through Burnaby. Today's Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated $50 million plus an estimated two Max Millions Lotto Max Dream to the Max. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Iron Workers Memorial Bridge. The special stories that shape our province, as suggested by our viewers. This is BC with Jay Durant. Real people, real stories. This is BC with Jay Durant is brought to you in part by Van Cam Freightways, BC owned and operated for 75 years. Another close call on a B.C. highway caught on camera. The video once again posted to the Skilled Truckers Canada Facebook account on Monday showing a semi passing another big rig on a section of Highway 5 south of Clearwater. You can see how close it gets to hitting oncoming traffic in a no-passing zone. It's not known when this happened, but according to the logo on the side of the semi, the vehicle is associated with direct way transport out of Abbotsford. We reached out to the company, but they immediately hung up. So far, no word from police on any investigations. Now, that video appeared just days after another video. This one appeared online of a near miss on Highway 97. That incident has prompted an investigation. A staffing shortage has closed an outpatient lab in Sydney, not just for a day or two, but for the next three weeks. It's a sign of the times, according to B.C.'s health minister, who says despite hiring more health care workers across the province, COVID-19 is still keeping workers at home. Kylie Stanton reports. The doors locked, lights are out, and it's going to stay that way for another three weeks. Oh, well, that's a little bit concerning. News of the Sydney Satellite Outpatient Lab's temporary closure now making the rounds in this Vancouver Island community. All my neighbours who are well into middle and later age um, rely on it, and so I think it's very tough for them. It's the latest in a string of health facility closures in the province. In a statement, Island Health writes, due to unforeseen temporary staffing issues, there are challenging staffing levels in mid-June in the North Saanich, Sydney area. The health minister backing that up, saying pre-COVID, eight to 9,000 healthcare workers would miss one day or more in a week. But last week, that number was nearly 16,000. And so this means that at sites where there's a limited number of staff, we can be profoundly affected by a few changes and we sometimes have to consolidate. And that's what's happening in Sydney. The service will continue and we're providing alternate services that are available in that community. Patients in Sydney who require lab services are being asked to go to Saanich Peninsula Hospital or the nearby Life Labs location. Those with appointments at the now-closed facility will be contacted directly. But the opposition is calling those solutions unacceptable. To see a health authority in and of itself uh, shutting down um, uh, components of the system that the, the health authority is responsible for, such as an outpatient lab, uh, again, is, is very concerning, uh, but consistent with, with what we're seeing across the entire healthcare system. At the end of May, the emergency department at the Port McNeil Hospital shut down due to a nurse shortage. ERs and a pediatric unit in BC's interior have also closed, citing similar reasons. The system is collapsing. British Columbians deserve a plan from this government. But patients here in Sydney are just trying to make a plan for themselves, fearing this won't be the last they'll see of the closures. I'll just work on my appointments and, and hopefully get in every four weeks or so. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Sydney.
Just ahead, Okanagan residents living in fear of their and neighbor. regardless of his issue, it has to be stopped. How one resident is terrorizing the town with his mother crying out for help. And growing flood concerns in Kelowna, the local state of emergency and communities at risk. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Traffic is steady in both directions over here tonight at the Alex Fraser Bridge, but leftover delays for eastbound traffic on the east-west connector through Richmond on the approach. Today's Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated $50 million plus an estimated two max millions. Lotto Max, dream to the max. I'm Trisha was sitting Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. Residents in Okanagan Falls say they are terrified of their neighbor following several violent incidents. Global's Taya Fast spoke to some concerned residents and even the mother of the alleged attacker who is pleading for help for her son. Eugene Dentling is still healing following an alleged violent assault in Okanagan Falls. I didn't sleep that night. Every time I closed my eyes, I saw this gargantuan coming at me. While walking his dog along Willow Street on Thursday, he says he was beaten to the ground by a neighbor. I heard someone yell from behind me in a very loud voice, I'm going to effing kill you. I tried to pick up my dog. He hit me in the head and he bowled me over. The community says Martin, the man who attacked Eugene, has been wreaking havoc on the community for years. We had a son-in-law that was um, accosted. He was uh, driving up to our house at night and he got out of the car and he heard uh, actually the gentleman's mother screaming at him to run. I would experience being screamed at from their deck down to mine. It would chase me into my house. Residents say they are now terrified to leave their own homes. People that live in fear in their own homes, and you don't understand it until it happens to you, where you actually come home and you're looking around your shoulders when you're going into your own home, you go inside your house and you lock yourself in your house. Martin's family says he is currently at the Okanagan Correctional Facility, but that's not bringing any comfort to the community. It's out of control, and regardless of his issue, it has to be stopped. He needs to be removed for the safety of the people in Oak Falls. According to Martin's family, he does suffer from mental health issues, but they have been struggling to find him proper treatment. I just would like to apologize to the community. Uh, I know there's been a lot of... um, They don't feel safe when my son was here. And I just would like to say that I've done everything I can to make sure that my son is safe. Um, But the system brought him back to me. Sylvia says she doesn't know what else to do. My son needs my help, but I also really want to make sure that the, the, the people are safe. So, and my family is safe. And uh, me, myself, is safe. So doing that, for major job on my own, I cannot do it by myself. 
I need help and I'm crying for help. Penticton RCMP did not respond to our request for an interview. TFS Global News, Okanagan Falls. In health matters, the Burn Fund is making a $1 million donation for specialized care for children with burn injuries. The BC Children's Hospital Foundation says the money will pay for an upgraded and improved burn care suite at the hospital, purchase new equipment, and hire more burn care team members. Burn Unit Director Dr. Sally Hines says this donation will have an enormous impact on patient care. I have um, great confidence that this generous gift that we're celebrating today will have a positive impact on the experience of our patients and their families as they navigate the burn injury and that we'll see this have a ripple effect on their lives going forward. The hospital will rename the burn care suite after the BC Professional Firefighters Burn Fund. BC Children's Hospital sees more than 900 children for burn injuries every year. New research involving thousands of children points to seasonality in their growth, suggesting kids get taller faster at a specific time of the year. As Su Ling Go reports, the study also helps explain why children tend to gain weight in the summer. It's a phenomenon parents know well. The pants that fit their child perfectly in September are too short by June. Every season we have to buy new things, of course, like we have, like, this stuff is not working anymore. My mom buys uh, new clothes for me because I get, like, so fast when I grow up. I, like, uh, eat lots of vegetables. Turns out kids' growth spurts involve more than veggies. A new study from Texas found children grow faster over the school year than over the summer. The researchers tracked more than 3,000 students from kindergarten through grade 4. Their height increased faster from fall to spring by about 0.05 of a centimeter per month compared to the summer rate. But their weight gain remained steady year-round. And so that might be why we had previously observed those, you know, market increases in children's BMI occurring during summer. It means children are more likely to become overweight during summer because their height isn't keeping pace with their weight. Dr. Jeanette Moreno says it could be related to school routines keeping kids moving. The more physically active children are, the more likely they're to be outside and and to get exposure to that light-dark cycle and um, to support sort of healthy circadian rhythms. Children also tend to have regular sleep schedules during school. During the summer, she will stay late at night, awake. The researchers also found sleep timing shifted 1.5 hours later in summer, which was associated with a bigger increase in body mass index. I really do think that the way that the school year um, sort of, you know, structures our environment and that sort of lack of structure during summer um, might influence um, children's sleeping patterns and their circadian rhythms and could influence their, you know, biological rhythms. Just ahead, mystery solved. And my heart skipped a beat at that point. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. How a BC photographer unraveled a story first found at an antique store. And BC Flood Watch keeping an eye on several communities facing high water. In the interior, the village of Lumbee has activated its emergency operations center because of flooding damaging the area.
One yard, as you can see, completely submerged in water after the Creighton Valley Creek burst its banks. Bassett Creek also spilled its banks, causing big problems along Quinnell Road. The floodwaters prompting the evacuation of a campground and the closure of the road. Uh, the basement's all flooded, the water's in the well, septic tanks are overflowing. You know, we did have a, an event warning come out um, from Environment Canada that was sent. They thought the concentration was going to be in the Kootenays, east of the Kootenays, and it ended up being more east of the Okanagan. The Emergency Operations Centre says it's monitoring flood conditions and sandbags are available to residents. And a local state of emergency has been declared in Kelowna as several waterways there burst their banks, flooding some roads and properties. Heavy rain and high elevation snowmelt caused Mission Creek to spill over in some areas. Scotty Creek and the upper reaches of Mill Creek are also affected. Several roads are closed. The Central Okanagan Emergency Operations Center has been activated and sandbags have been deployed there. Water levels appear to be only inches away from pouring onto KLO Bridge and flaggers are on site to direct traffic. We're just here next to Mission Creek, uh, filling sandbags and building a wall to protect the properties along here from the creek. Everyone is pitching in. Whenever things like this happen, everyone leaves their houses. They check in. Over the past 24 hours, Kelowna has seen a lot of rain in the mountains and the valley. People who live in low-lying areas are being asked to create a flood plan and equip themselves with the tools and resources they might need for at least a few days. Yvonne Schell is standing by right now with the latest on all of it. Hi, Yvonne. Hi, Chris, and good evening, everyone. It's been incredible, the rainfall amounts that we've had into the interior, but I'll start off along the south coast first, where we have seen some breaks through the day today. It'll be dry as we get in towards this evening, so a nice break, but then cooling off overnight tonight. Temperatures are currently sitting at 18. We've got a southerly wind out of the airport at 13 kilometers per hour. We do have more cloud cover that is going to build in through the day, but right now dry, the island included within that. The heaviest rainfall has tapered off for the southeast eastern corners of the province, but we continue to see it in Alberta and just along the Rockies, and we'll still hang on to a few isolated showers in the mix. Big weather story, we still have another weather maker that is going to push in for most areas along the south coast, and the timeline is as we get in late day tomorrow and leading in towards our Thursday. Now, overnight tonight, we're down to 10. This is the plan. We'll have more cloud cover through the day, a slight chance for a few showers in the afternoon, but a greater chance is going to pick up towards the evening and take us in towards our Thursday. That'll be the blip in the forecast for all areas along the south coast. Bulk of the moisture though or the instability is going to pick up for tomorrow afternoon. Central and southern interior, risk of thunderstorms. That's a concern. We could see some intense pockets of rain that'll increase the snowmelt across the region for the flood concern. We'll start to see those river level rise, river level rising continuing to rise. There we go. And in towards our Thursday as we're also looking at the potential for more rain in the forecast. Now we have seen a bit of a change for the flood concerns. Now for the Elk Valley now is downgraded to a high stream flow advisory all areas in yellow flood watch remains in effect for the middle fraser as well as the thompson and those are areas that may exceed bankful but we are going to continue to watch this especially in towards our thursday central and southern interiors will pick up that instability risk of a thunderstorm lots of instability and the chance of showers moving in on thursday along the south coast we'll see a chance of showers late in the day we do have a range in temperatures between 16 away from the water up to 18 degrees tomorrow morning a few showers or showers picking up late day showers for Thursday morning, a bright spot looks to be for our Friday so far. All right, a great shot. This tonight's weather, Central Windows weather window. This one taken from Lake Country, and this one was captured by Viola. Chris? Oh, 
It's beautiful there. All right, we are going to show some more of that nasty weather, though. Yvonne, thanks very much. Back to that big system that was impacting Montana yesterday and dramatic video showing the power and devastation of flooding in Montana. That riverfront home is obviously no match for the flooding along the Yellowstone River as it falls into the raging water when the riverbank was eaten away. A lot of highways through Yellowstone obviously are damaged. It looks really a lot like some of the damage we saw in B.C. back in November, and they have a massive cleanup and repair bill coming to them in Montana as well. All right, uh, thanks again, Yvonne. Here is Squire now with a look ahead to sports. Well, we're getting ready to uh, watch the Stanley Cup final. It'll be uh, Colorado and Tampa Bay this year. It's a great matchup. The Lightning trying to win their third straight Stanley Cup. That's been a big theme for ours, is putting our stamp in history. That's Prince George's John Cooper. Three straight Stanley Cup wins. We haven't seen that since the Islanders won four in a row in the early 80s, but the Lightning have a chance to be a dynasty. We shall see. All right, thanks, Squire. Also coming up, a 100-year-old film canister that carried a mystery and how a local photographer helped solve it. Okay, we're, do it. We're, well, we're thinking of a clever name for the, for the rivalry between Seattle and Vancouver in, in soccer. And maybe it's the I-5 rivalry or maybe it's the i 5 rivalry. <laughs> the rim shot was ready there. Justin is good. I actually like the i 5 rivalry. I think that's pretty good, actually. That's not bad. And you thought it up on the spot. Well, I got nothing else to do over here while impressive. you're on. Okay. Well, you just think of some more okay. rivalry names. <laughs> Right now. Um, the uh, Whitecaps will play Seattle tonight at 7.30, which would be... Oh, you missed oh, your Oh, sorry. I was doing research. Wow. I was doing research. Okay. The I-5-ery. Yeah, okay, great. <laughs> Games on AM 7.30, if you're wondering, um, at 7.30. The uh, first time this season that the Whitecaps may be able to play Andres Kubis, the midfielder they brought in, as a designated player back in April, he'll be on the bench. He has played for Paraguay International recently in games against uh, Japan and South Korea. So he has played recently, but this is the first time he'll have a chance with the Whitecaps. And Vanny Sartini is very happy to have this guy in the midfield. He's, a very, good, he's very good at recovering the ball and uh, is a midfielder who can play the ball forward. So he's a guy that uh, he has international experience. So it's kind of a... I would say a big package that that we we hope to is going to put in the in the service of the team. And for what I've seen, is a team guy, someone who sacrifices himself for the team, and that's the culture that we have here. Okay, one last place in the World Cup. Hey, there's Kendall Waston, former Vancouver Whitecap, playing for Costa Rica today. They were taking on New Zealand very early in this match. Joel Campbell scores, and Costa Rica has a lead, one nothing. And in New Zealand, the soccer team is known as the All-Whites, not the All-Blacks, like the rugby team. And New Zealand scores here, Chris Wood in the 39th minute, but, but they went to VAR and they saw this. 
opportunity for Costa Rica to clear. What they said was a foul by Matthew Garbutt before the goal. So this goal is not allowed. And even though New Zealand was probably the better team in this game, it's Costa Rica who goes to Qatar in November and Waston may be going with them. When you score 59 points, you are going to get a lot of recognition. Three BC Lions were players of the week, named today. Nathan Mork, of course, since he engineered most of those points. James Butler, who scored four touchdowns all in the first half, both catching and running, and defensive back TJ Lee, who picked off a couple of passes as BC's defense was elk hunting all night. The Stanley Cup final starts tomorrow in Denver, game one between the Lightning and Avalanche. This is a dream matchup on paper. Basically the best regular season team the past three years against the best playoff team the past three years. The Lightning have won two cups in a row. Three in a row has not happened in the NHL since the Islanders beat the Canucks back in 1982. That was their third straight Stanley Cup. Of course, they'd win four straight Stanley Cups before the dynasty ended. But that was back when there was no salary cap. You could spend as much as you wanted on players to keep a championship team together. Now it's different. That's why the team coached by Prince George's John Cooper is so incredible. They are doing this in the salary cap era. So, can lightning strike three times? One of the things that we talked about, not only this year, but the year before, was why other teams don't get back there. Like, why is it so rare that another team can't get back? And, you know, are you... Is it just enough that you got your name on the cup, you exhale, and it's okay, you get a few mulligans for the next couple of years? We have to want this. Like, we, we, we've worked so hard to build. Julian's built this team. Um, I coach this team. These players play, but we've, it's taken so much to get here. Why not keep going? And that's been a big theme for ours, is putting our stamp in history. Vegas Golden Knights have hired former Bruins boss Bruce Cassidy to be their new head coach. He had a great run in Boston. He lost the Stanley Cup final in seven games in St. Louis in 2019. And as good as the Vegas organization has been, of course, it missed the playoffs this past year, they have now had three coaches already in their very short history. Cassidy is number three. Uh, now, this is a story about Vlad and his dad, who is also named Vlad. Vladimir, to be precise. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is so much like his Hall of Fame father, Vladimir Guerrero Sr. They are both baseball stars. They both started their playing career in Canada. Senior for the Expos. Junior, of course, still playing for the Blue Jays. But there is even a more cosmic similarity between these two, and that is in the stats. So when Vladimir Guerrero Jr. hit this home run last night for the Blue Jays, it was his 87th home run he has hit in his first 403 Major League games. That's exactly what his father did. Vladimir Sr. played 403 Major League games and hit 87 home runs in his first 403. But there's more. Their on-base percentage after this amount of games is the same as well. 363 or 363. There you go. That's amazing. It is. Look forward to the Cascadian clash tonight. All right, that's all I could come up with. We're back in just a moment. This is BC with Jay Durant is brought to you in part by Van Cam Freightways. BC owned and operated for 75 years. 
Just before we wrap it up, here's Sarah McDonald with a preview of what's coming up on Global News at 11. Sarah? Yeah, Chris, we're following the seizure of more than 120 animals at a BC property. We'll tell you where. Plus, keeping a close eye on rising water levels with Kelowna under a local state of emergency. All eyes are on the province's snowpacks, the North Shore of particular concern to Metro Vancouver tonight. We'll tell you why and how it is being measured as temperatures rise. Plus, Squire joins us once again with sports coming up at 11. Chris. Sounds great. Thanks very much, Sarah. Okay, great story to end on now. A Fort Langley man with a knack for film photography was given the ultimate challenge when an antique store gave him a canister of film that was nearly 100 years old. He set about solving the mystery of what was on it with the help of the media. And as Jay Durant tells us on This Is BC, he reunited a family with memories of their past. 47 years in photography has presented Jim Solos with a few challenges. He saved a number of lost rolls of film and restored dozens of vintage cameras. So this is the actual film. But nothing like the task he just took on when he tried to revive a film almost 100 years old that was discovered at a Vancouver antique store. I was pretty much convinced myself this was a lost cause. There's no way this could possibly work. With a little research and a lot of guesswork, Solos oh, brought back to life astounded. three pictures with faded images. My heart skipped a beat at that point. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Now he had a mystery on his hands. When and where were these taken? And who are the people posing? His social media followers started offering some clues on the era. And some people even saw stuff that I didn't see. The truck, the bike tire, the old washing machine and a sweater with an image from the 1924 Winter Olympics in France. Slowly, the puzzle started to take shape. But we still didn't know who these people were. What a local mystery it was, hey? Newspapers picked up the story. It appeared in Canada, the U.S., and even the U.K. And then Jim got a message from a woman in Edmonton who saw the article. I realized that it was my family, and I was, it's like winning the lottery. Pamela Bonner has been working on her family tree and immediately recognized the baby. It was her grandmother, Lorraine. Just the eyes and, the, and just the way she looked. Smiling for the camera along with three generations of family members at their White Rock farm in 1926. Bringing all these people back to life. Chances of actually finding anybody, it was a million to one. Mystery solved thanks to the article, Solo's expertise, and the help of hundreds of online detectives. Just everything that's come together, the way the stars aligned for us to be able to, to discover these people again. Such unexpected success that maybe it's time to open up a new mystery role revival business. I'm retired now, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it'd be fun to, to have that happen again. Jay Durant, Global News. If ever there was a good reason to come out of retirement... Uh, and also, look, if you have a great story to tell and you want to share it with the rest of us, just email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. All right, we'll keep an eye on the weather for tonight and in through the day tomorrow. What's the latest now, Yvonne? Uh, most areas in the interior, so heads up, we'll see that risk of thunderstorms and then picking up in towards Thursday. Metro Vancouver, we've got some showers popping up late day and taking us in towards our Thursday. That'll likely be the blip in the forecast. I'm highlighting Friday because that looks to be one of the nicest days so far. Still a few days out to the weekend, but we could see some showers for the start of it on our Saturday. All right, we'll see how it goes. Thanks very much, Yvonne. I appreciate it. Thanks, everybody, for watching and have a great night.